Hello, welcome to The Armin Show, where we talk about everything science, human behavior, creativity, and more. Thanks for joining, and make sure to subscribe. Hello, and welcome to The Armin Show, science, people, creativity, human behavior. We are continuing to grow in this establishment. Subscribe if you haven't. Support the show as it continues to blossom into the future. On this one here, how cool is this? I have not only my guest co-host right here, Rebecca Faith Lawson, you have seen her psychology background and on recent episodes quite a few times. And my guest today, shout out to Rebecca, by the way. Hello, welcome. Hello, thank you. Yes. <laughs> cool. And my guest today, past guest, Todd Cashdan, Professor, George Mason University, the Wellbeing Laboratory, interested in well-being, personality psychology, anxiety positive psychology, emotion regulation, and the author of The Art of Insubordination. Todd, welcome to the program. So good to be back. I am glad to have you back on for this interesting topic that has been collected. It's by the current moment. It's relevant. The Surgeon General has mentioned it. We will get into that, the loneliness epidemic. But before we get into that, I wanted to do an intro connected to how I was reminded of you recently that led to this. You posted something about working out, and I commented on workout. It's very important for health. And then also there's a segue of this to the loneliness epidemic. Tell me about your workout regimen and how is that meaningful to you, and then we'll also describe ours. Oh, I definitely want to hear yours. Well, um, I discovered that I tore my wrist in December. I thought it was nothing, and so I've been working out for the past six months thinking it's just a twinge. This is this is a very a very a very male behavior. And once I went to a doctor, orthopedic surgeon, realized I may need surgery, I got a cortisone shot. And he said, listen, just stop doing things with your right wrist. And so I created an entire regimen of workouts with my left arm. And so one of the things about when you injure your body and you use exercise as your form of meditation or just your state of contemplation or your, your white space is you don't want to give it up. And so you almost always have asymmetry. So my right arm is, I'm not going to show you right now, is massive in size compared to my string bean left side. And so injuring my right wrist is a godsend because now I get to build up my left side and make it a little bit more symmetrical. And so um, I've basically been, been doing a whole series of workouts of curls and um, and functional body movements, one arm push-ups and one arm pull-ups with um, with weights attached to my right side, so that I can actually make my body symmetrical by only working out my left side. How cool is this? You are becoming more symmetrical by the day. You can see it minute by minute. You could track me on your app. I have a symmetry analyzer right now. It's actually increasing upward <laughs> trajectory. There, that's super cool. I know my workout regimen or what I think of when I think of personal training. I will leave that for last. What about yourself? What has been your experience with working out, training? What does it mean? Mm -hmm. Thoughts that come to mind when you think of that. Mm -hmm. I feel like working out has been a journey for me. I feel I've been in different interests of what I go to for workouts. Like sometimes I used to be like a runner and or I used to do um, high intensity workouts. But now I'm kind of in a season of I do Pilates mostly. And I just find it also really good just for the mind and um, just puts me in a really good mental state. I'm moving, but I'm also not overdoing it. So that's kind of where I'm at. What about you? That's cool. Mine involves regular gym activity. It's very helpful. I go almost, let's say, five times a week and hefty and a lot of – I need to warm up for like an hour. So that's one of my things that's different from other people. I have to warm up for like – an hour of doing walking, running, walking, running, maybe shooting some hoops, walking something, jogging, running. And then finally, I'm ready to do a workout like everybody else. My friend, my other friend can just come and work out immediately. But we're all different in the way we have to adapt to the world like your to match symmetry example, for example. Yeah. So you have, I mean, it's good. This, this, And this will relate to when we talk about loneliness is like, what is your runway leading up to exercise, socializing, going into work mode, whatever that is. And it's kind of a conversation a lot of people don't have um, and a lot of adults, parents, teachers, mentors don't tell people of, hey, I'm going to modify this class or your work environment for the fact that you have a longer runway. This is a great point. A lot of people that go to the gym actually go there because 
They might come from loneliness or that's the place where they know there's people around and they can do it contextually on a regular basis and that helps them. Something that's like a healing form in a way. So that connects in fact to the concept of loneliness and isolation that is happening across the country because I feel like a lot of people at gyms right now, if the gym was taken away, it would be eight times worse for their whole week because that's barely where they are getting out to. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you hit a, an important sociological element, which is what I call the third space, where your first space would be your home. However, it could be by yourself. It could have roommates, could be whole family, who knows? Your second space ends up being your work. We'll just, we'll just go with the idea that you're not doing remote work. You're actually going physically somewhere. And then your third space is, if you go back 50 years, it was all men organizations where you had, you know, the Elk Lodge and the Moose Lodge and you had those kind of things. And then you had diners that people would regularly, they would know all the waiters and servers. Then you would have Irish, you know, pubs and taverns. Again, it would be the local denizens that you could figure out the characters. Then it would be, you know, churches, synagogues and mosques. And as you've seen, the greatest decline in religious attendance in the history of humanity um, you're going to see changes. And one of the things that you're seeing is people in the example you're giving is you're going to find alternative ways of finding community. And one way is if you go and work out and exercise in the same place, typically around the same time, you're going to see in the same characters, you have the same interests, and you're going to form a sense of community. Even if you don't actually have conversations, it's just like a nodding of the head, acknowledging who they are, that if you were at a police precinct and there was a lineup and of the 15 people, 12 of them were at the gym at the same time, you'd be able to pick them out. Those are real social characters in your life. And it's worth thinking if you're listening to this, do you have a third space? If you don't have a third space, um, that is an important deficit that's going to increase the probability you're going to have low levels of happiness and high levels of loneliness and all the consequences that we're going to be talking about. This is a great point. I actually have a connection to that in relation to Rebecca and community and church. I was going to bring up later, but I'll bring it up now and then I'll get into some of the material about loneliness. Does that speak to you in any way? Is there any place that has community and connection that you have participated in? How has that been? And then I have a follow-up question to Todd related to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I am part of a um, community at my local church, and it's a young adult community. And I have noticed definitely, like, if I'm how involved I am plays a part in my own emotional well being. And I think I've like taken time away, like, sometimes, like, maybe I'm not as involved in what you're calling like the third, what was the, the third space? Yeah. yeah. And I've noticed like a difference, and I'm like, wow, like, why? Like, what is that? And I don't even necessarily have words or a description for it, but I just notice it within my perceiving of how I am and how I'm feeling. And so I just think that's such a good point and like so great that you can identify and call it the third space because you're right. It's like even just seeing familiar faces or just giving a head nod or just, yeah, like acknowledging these people. And, and then also that consistency, like seeing consistent faces and, uh, and maybe you don't have these deep conversations with everybody, but just being around it is a sense of socializing. Yeah. I, li I like what you're describing, Rebecca, because you really want to break this down to like, what are the the mechanisms or the elements that makes a third space work? And I'm just riffing off of what you said. So there's a few of them. The best indicator to me from what we know about the science of loneliness and happiness and well-being and meaning in life is vitality. So do you feel, as you were saying, like, I can feel it, uh, I can feel it, like, in your body, physiologically, you feel a surge of energy and where, you, like, you feel like this, you could do things and you're yourself and you're motivated and it's all intrinsic inside you. That's, like, the number one indicator. A second indicator is can you be effortlessly yourself or to, to some degree you can be effortlessly yourself where you don't have to censor what you're saying um, if you think something, if you're, someone says something and you have an idea or comment, you're not self-silencing, that's a really good indicator of an environment. And then the third one, which I think Rebecca, you described pretty nicely is like, are you seen? 
Like, do you feel like you're being seen? Like you're actually not just visible, but someone will make eye contact with you, acknowledge your presence. And, and in that is that you're valued. I know you come here. I honor you for being here and you see them. And those are, those are some of the elements that are important that we miss when we don't have these non-family social environments that we can go to. This is a great point on a different kind of loneliness that people don't think about where it's not just not people being around, but you're not connecting where you would want to connect. You're not being, being seen. That's very relevant. When you're not seen, it, it doesn't matter if there's 40 people around, you still feel lonely because the level of desired connection is different from the level of actual connection. And that discrepancy makes a person feel lonely in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me tell you something that hit me hard this year where I just started reading the obituaries because there was a family scenario where there was a debate of would that woman in my family want an obituary or not? So it just got me of like, like, I don't even read the obituaries. So I just started reading obituaries. And there's a theme that really hit me hard, which was stories of older women in particular who are describing that later in life, so 60s, 70s, older, um, they came out and then they, as non-heterosexual, as lesbian or bisexual, and then they finally found their partner. And it was, and in these obituaries were how much that they regret the fact that they didn't come out earlier, not because it was a good time or a bad time, because they didn't realize just how powerful this connection was. And there's something to be said about hearing these stories of someone that is non-effortlessly themselves their entire adult lives pretending to be a different sexual orientation to fit in so they're fitting in armin like just as you're describing but they're not being valued understood and cared for who they are because they don't feel as if they could be themselves and so these stories are reminders to us of listen you've got only so many weeks in your lifetime so even if you're going to lose some characters in your life to be who you really are and attract the people that are actually going to like, enjoy and desire to be around that actual person who you are is would be like one of my fundamental interventions that people should have for themselves. There's something to the non-effortless description there. Something like low friction, for example, we don't want a frictionful life that is packed with, I'm this, that's that. And uh, it's always effort, 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 effort. Then you feel lonely, like I'm not supposed to be here is what the message is of that interaction. And then when you have that feeling, you wanna exit the room and or the community and or the city, it's not good. And it makes you want to not almost be in that case. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it's, I think that's an interesting topic that you bring up when it comes to that kind of connection, like a romantic connection. And I definitely think that's based on even deeper, deeper beliefs and values and what you believe about humanity and, and how people connect with people. Cause you definitely, you definitely want to be known for your actual feelings. Cause like those feelings are valid in whatever, whatever you're going through. Um, and then but that definitely is like a, I think the spirituality comes a lot with who you pursue as a partner um, and like what, and what you do believe based off of what direction you go. Spirituality in connection <laughs> with, does, oh, that's actually, does the person, the spiritual connection, can that lead to less loneliness? Is there something there that it can answer what loneliness normally comes from? Yeah. So, well, well let's start with the prevalence rate. So if, if you were to look cross-nationally in the United States in particular, but you can get like London and Canada and Israel and Australia are kind of similar. You get to about 24 to 48% of the population is extremely chronically lonely repetitive cycles of thoughts and feelings and avoidant behaviors that fit with this thing that we'll call loneliness. And people that have 
like Rebecca that are like linked up with um, some religious institution or have or have spiritual or religious beliefs, they tend to be lower in loneliness. Now, what's the causal pathway? Like which which is the chicken, which is the egg? It doesn't really matter. I mean, the thing about it is you're finding a very consistent pattern is that when you believe that there are things that transcend the self that are important to you, connected to your thinking about what do I want to pursue? Who's the person that I am? What do I want to be in the future? That connection, that spiritual connection is linked with lower levels of loneliness. It gives a sense of perspective. Would you say the spiritual sense gives you a sense of perspective, like a bigger picture so it makes you feel more calm with the day as it is? Yeah, I think that seeing, like taking the bigger picture into connection makes you feel like you're a part of something. Even that, it, I'm, it's not just about me, but it's about what's really, go like what's going on in life and how am I part of life? It's not like this is just me and I'm the only thing that matters. I'm the only thing that is here. You know, it's looking at everything. I'm also here. <laughs> Jokes. But valid. Right. It gives a bigger sense. Loneliness, I think, may come from almost like feeling like an island at times. And then if you don't see that there's a bigger planet going on and activities and happenings and larger view, then you think it's just you and then you don't have much to be with. Well, you could think about like, what you know, what is loneliness? Loneliness is the sense of pain from a feeling of social disconnection, a lack of, a lack of meaningful connections. And there's a, there's a pain that arises from that. And so what leads to connections? There's three levels. So one level of connection is basically your personal identity. So each one of us has our person, a matrix of personality traits, you have values, you've got interests and passions, and um, you have a story that you weave about, about your life history. You've got a series of positive and negative life events, the books you've read, the people you've interacted with, um, just things that you've collected that you found um, important and meaningful to you. Then you have this relational self and you've got, you can think of it as a hierarchy in terms of when Saturday night hits nine o'clock, you go into your phone, and you do not say all things are equal in terms of who I'm going to call. You have in your head a hierarchical arrangement. Well, all right, if Fallon's not there, then I'll call Patrick, then I'll call Stacy, and then I'll call Mike, and then I'll call Seth. But it's definitely not calling Jason first. It happens there. And then a different day, because maybe Jason just brings like the joy in the room, but they're really like kind of sloppy, you know, superficial conversations. But that's what you want. You just want a cheerful character. Then Jason jumps to the top of these things. So we have this relational connections where we can understand who we care about, who we want to interact with, and then who, who plays what role. And there's a lot to unpack with that. But then there's a third one, which is your collective self. And that gets to kind of what Rebecca's, Rebecca is hitting here, where you feel and identify strongly with the group and you feel as if you are a meaningful contributing member. Now that could be your racial category, it could be your sex, it could be your gender, it could be, like we said, church, mosque, synagogue, it could be like your school, it could be like your community library, maybe you're part of a band. And so all three of those can be sources to assuage the possibility of loneliness and big deficits in any one of those silos can be the source of this experience of loneliness, which everyone has it momentarily here and there. But we're really talking about like people that chronically, regularly, and intensely feel this deficit in these bins. One thing I want to connect to is, so Rebecca has connected with people through the church, through spiritual nature and community, and reached out in some form there. What is the features in someone that would not allow them to try that or would keep them from even getting into finding a local sports club or a group or somebody to connect with? What's the preventing of that for some people? Yeah. I mean, there's a huge list. I mean, you could start with social anxiety, right? The It can be defined as the fear that you will be negatively evaluated and scrutinized for a perceived flaw in your character and which will be the source of not just scrutiny, but also rejection. So if you walk into the world believing you have these flaws, 
and that I'm going to be crushed by other people because of them, that's going to prevent you from being you. And you might be present, as you're saying, like the worst loneliness is when you're with other people and you feel lonely. And if you're very high in social anxiety, you try to basically direct the attentional spotlight to other people, asking tons of questions, but you feel if you get exposed and what you are is visible, you're going to be ostracized for that. So that's a huge barrier to loneliness or to connection. And it makes you increase the likelihood of being lonely. That's such a great point. It really does come down to like, when you put yourself out there, you feel when you feel confident, you are willing to like go and meet people and talk about yourself and really connect. But if you're fearing, oh, I don't want people to like know me because I am like hiding these these different things and you are going to retreat more. But it's like ironic as well, because it's through connection and that acceptance where you're, I feel people can grow in accepting themselves and like, and also really come to terms with like, Hey, like I am maybe lovable or, Hey, I am, I can be a friend or I can do these things. And you start discovering these things, these worlds inside of you when you are connected and open with people, but maybe you're, you can't even get there because you're too scared to be exposed maybe. Yeah. So think about every one of us. I mean, particularly people that are on podcasts, listening to podcasts, you're trying to grow. You're trying to like expand your perspectives, your knowledge, your wisdom. And one of the the quickest, most efficient ways for self-expansion is entering into a close relationship where I'm giving you access to my house. Go in, go to the bathroom, check out the fridge, pop a beer, go explore my basement. And then you give me access to your house. And with the, with the trust that... You know, I'm not going to do it, take a baseball bat and start smashing to smithereens like all of your glass vases. And you're not going to basically not flush the toilet in my house. And this reciprocal access to people's resources, social network, philosophies, ideas, that is the quickest way to expand. So if you believe that you have these flaws that will be exposed and because they're visible, you'll be rejected, you say... Don't come into my house because it's a freaking mess. It's horrible. It's terrible. It's, it's boring. It's, it's, you're going to feel contempt for me. So don't go in there. And Rebecca, like you're saying, the other person is going to say, well, if you're not going to let me in my house, then I'm not going to let you in your house. That's like a strange asymmetrical relationship going back to my workouts. And so we're not going to, so in a weird way, when you're socially anxious, sometimes you end up self-sabotaging the possibility of forming friendships. Absolutely. That's such a great point. And I just remember like even it was like around COVID time and I wasn't being like as social and I ended up making a friend who we went to like a coffee shop and she kind of opened up to me and we had just recently really just started like hanging out. And I, I was honestly pretty shocked that what some of the things she said to me, and it was a moment of, I could, I could maybe distance myself after that conversation or I could lean in more and get to know her and realize like she's just a human and I just remember feeling like she was showing me so much at that time because she was showing me that she could share some some like things she was going through and I still could see her for who she was and it was okay that she was sharing these things um it didn't it didn't completely turn me off from being a friend, her friend, but also it was cool because I was also like, wow, I can also share things with her. It gave me that opportunity. Like, Oh, she has problems. Like, well, maybe I can share some things that whatever, maybe I don't look perfect for them, but I'm human as well. And it gave me that opportunity to also share. So I think sometimes people can have fear like, Oh, I have these things going on in my life and nobody will accept me. But really, everybody has something that they're going through or has gone through that they're going to have a sense of compassion for people or they're going to understand. And people are are more loving than I think sometimes we give credit them credit for. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit what science has found is like one of like the really good, simple strategies to kind of stave off loneliness, which is experiment with the idea of skipping the rungs of intimacy and sharing some details of your of your life to someone else and it'll feel good just the idea that there is a platform or place where you can get those things out of your system 
But on the other side is the other intervention. If someone's going to make a social bid, that's what we'll call it, where they share something important about themselves, it's really an important social strategy where you're going to show interests, you're going to ask questions, you want like more elaboration, more details about it. And there's just like validation of like, 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 I can't believe that you went through that before. I'm so, I'm so glad that you feel comfortable enough to, to share that with me. And those small statements alone, just let the other person know that they were seen, they're cared for, they're understood. They cost nothing. It's super quick. Um, so it's not like, it's not like a lot of time and energy, but making the social bids of sharing those things, receiving those social bids and responding to them is one of the, the best ways to kind of improve your social interactions. It's important to make those reach outs. Mm -hmm. I have a long background of socializing with people in public and reaching out to people randomly. So that's always been a positive in that category. Mm -hmm. One thing that comes to mind in the space is we had talked last week about, I had mentioned that an individual mentioning selfishness in a talk, I was wondering to myself, when they talk about that issue, does it make it more likely that selfishness pervades in society or does it illuminate something? Same thing with loneliness uh, was brought up by Rebecca. How did you describe that? The concept of either affirming something in somebody else or bringing it to light and exposing it so it can be better. Is that the right. question you're asking? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that for instance, taking the analogy of self selfishness, it was basically a sermon that we had watched and it was about selfishness. And like, I think that when you identify something in humans, it's something, it brings awareness rather than like amplifying it. Yeah. Amplifying it. I think it's like, okay, we acknowledge this thing is going on and then people can decide if that is, you know, pertains to them and what they want to do and improve and grow rather than affirming it. Like that's me. And, you know, it's like you want to be in a growth mindset, not like the, exactly. So I think there's a lot of factors in it. Does bringing up something amplify it more? Like let's say we talk about loneliness. Does that make it more of a thing or is it more informative and doesn't affect it to make it more of a common thing that people should like, expect to see? Yeah. I mean, maybe the better question is, if you prime people to think more about loneliness, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Right. So we had this when, what was that, um, that Netflix special where there was uh, a suicide in it and people were terrified that this was going to lead to a contagion of suicides, like 12 reasons why that was, that was the show. And you did see a ever so slight spike. Um, based on research studies of once that was like released on Netflix, because nobody reads books, so only when the when actually the, the show came out. And when you when you start exposing this word loneliness and describing what it is, and people are listening to this conversation about about uh, that this is maybe possibly like um, more pervasive than we thought in society. Being aware that this is your body's evolutionarily derived response to say, just like if you're hungry, you should get some food. The feeling of loneliness, that pain is a reminder of you need social connections. You need to feel as if there is some level of relatedness or belonging. And it, that need is not being satisfied and stop what you're doing and go hunting or look for it. Or take, take a few seconds away from the world and contemplate why is your social life devoid of interactions and relationships where you feel connected to other people? So it's motivating you to do one of the, one of those two things. Either way, it's basically saying the, the gauge is at near empty right now in terms of you feeling as if you have these strong social bonds and support for your life. So stop, pause from life and contemplate what the hell is going on. Or get out there and start reconnecting with people and contact people. So it's a great thing, even though it's painful. And so I would say, go on record as a psychologist, that it's a good thing to talk about it because I want people to actually stop trying to escape that by drinking, binge watching TV, exercising excessively, 
um, listening to podcasts nonstop, any stimulation possible so I don't actually pay attention to the inner dialogue that's telling me that something's a little bit awry in my life. I want people to like take a pause and actually notice what it is that's going on psychologically with them. I say it's very good to take a pause on things or take a breath when you are thinking about something, any sort of like pause or processing, mm-hmm. highly beneficial for being, because if it's always frantic, I've never seen anything good come from a frantic existence from the thing to the thing to the thing where there's no moments of, oh, okay, take it in because you never mm-hmm. process what it is until who knows, months later, years later. Mm-hmm. And also like what what you're saying, I think that acceptance of putting yourself out there and talking to people and just being like, I am okay with however I'm perceived in the sense of this is a few people or different people you get to know. And just, it's, I think it's a really hard thing to be like, okay, I can be judged and maybe I will be rejected and I'm okay with that. But just like learning to be more comfortable with that mindset of like, I know that I'm valuable. I'm, I'm loved. I love myself. People love me. There are, I want to go as far as, you know, God loves me and I am seen and I'm worthy of connection and just being like, if other people don't see that in me, then that's okay. And that doesn't, that doesn't take away from my own value. And if those, because like, I think of also like the analogy, it's like a guy go goes and asks a girl on a date well maybe he's rejected but maybe he asks three other girls and maybe one of them out of all four says yes and so it's like being okay with that rejection to reach the connection and it's worth it because you need you need social connection because that's how we're like designed i think yeah i would i would add one tweak to that which is when you do this audit on your social life is to is to actually to think objectively, do you have characters at the best friend level? Like let's like level one. I call it my wise counsel. Some people have different terms for this. Of so like, these are the characters that will bury the bodies with you. So that you know, these are the ones that will take it to the grave, all of your secrets. Some people have zero. Some people it's the the largest percentage of people in society that say they have zero at that level in the history of humanity. Um it's worth taking place. And there's, you know, there's lots of reasons why. And, you know, in terms of like not reaching those really deep connections and, and putting and being untrustworthy enough to share things that people would actually show that they will keep your secrets or help you problem solve. Um, but then, you know, level two is like close friends, but these are not the people you would share your deep, dark secrets. Level three might be colleagues and friends, but not people you want to spend a whole day with or go on a beach trip with. And then you get like, you know, acquaintances at level four, which is, it's nice to see you at the gym or at work, but we know we don't really want to be having a long conversation, but it's nice to be around you. And I think when you do an audit of what percentage of characters, what are the number of characters at each level, you can, you can get to Rebecca, what you're saying in that, yeah, I just got rejected. Yes, yeah, someone told me they don't want to see me ever again. Yet yeah, someone told me that when I walk into a room, um, everything is colder and more horrific than it was beforehand. When that happens, if you've done a successful audit, you can say, I don't need your affection and approval because I've already got characters that are already in my little pyramid in my life that happens there. And when you don't do that audit, you feel as if your entire social being your entire psychology is on the line of every moment. Yes, do I get a thumbs up and I'm accepted or no, I've just been rejected, thumbs down. And to use your dating example, that's the kind of scenario where you're you're really psychologically vulnerable. If every time you ask someone out after a conversation, um, your, your self-worth is contingent on whether they say yes. And you don't want, you want to have non-contingent self-worth. Yes or no, can you make an, an assessment that says, I was freaking funny and witty and playful. And yeah, they said no, but I killed it. Like you want to judge the performance and not the outcome. That's a good way of putting it. And yeah, focus more on performance of who you're being rather than how it's received. And I don't think, I don't know if that's always how people go and and look at that, you know, so that's a really, that's a key thing to be mindful of, I think. 
I've paid attention to that's a good point. That graph of friendship numbers dropping where it's like best friends and next level, next level, next level, and they're all dropping as of the last 10, 15 years, 20 years in all categories. So the amount of people that actually have a strong, close connection or next level and next level mm-hmm. has gotten to points where it's almost starvation in a way. And they are reaching for anything. It might be TikTok scrolling at this point or whatever it might be because it's not there where it was more of a default 20 years ago. Now they are grabbing for things that they would not have grabbed for before. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the big things to go back to our sociological conversation earlier is propinquity is missing. And that's just the proximity. I mean, it used to be is that your grandparents would have a general store where they would sit on a table in the front and be playing checkers or chess or gin rummy. And we just sit there for like six, seven hours after the workday was over and chill and have a, you know, have a glass of, have a glass of vodka. Um, you know, no matter how you feel about any of that, it's that they were just regularly interacting with people in their small communities. And as we've kind of urbanized and had like more population density in out, you know, in the suburbs and in urban areas, you would think it would be more social connections, but it's actually often less is because people pass right by each other without even making eye contact out of the fear of I've got to get from place from point A to point B and I don't have time to stop. So there's that independence, independent lifestyle, independent self, high levels of ambition that are permeating our culture such that we don't stop and have these social interactions that you would in the past. And that's a contributor to why you often see a decline in well-being over the course of time. So we can't just say everything's iPhones um, is, the, is the cause of all of life's ills. I would say is that the, the way society is structured in terms of how we spend the hours in our day, we're not in regular contact with people for long periods of time. What's cool about the example I gave about our grandparents just hanging out in front of a country store is that you were sitting with them playing cards, no matter what their politics were, what their relation, how much they liked your spouse, how much they liked your kids. Um, you were just going to sit there with them and you were going to, and if you had an argument, you were going to work through it because you were going to see them tomorrow in the same spot, doing the same cards. And there's something about the multitude of avenues that we have to escape and abort social interactions, including pulling out that smartphone out of our pocket that we're not sitting with this long, long standing, developing, never going anywhere relationships. They really, they come and go. And some of it's good because there are people that actually don't give us vitality and make us bring out bad versions of ourselves. But a lot of them is just, we just lack problem solving abilities to work through difficult spots in our relationships. The cool factor. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of time before when we'd be sitting down and that was reasonable and normal. Mm -hmm. That has adjusted over time. Over every year, there was something like, oh, but now let's say the phone example, you're checking your phone. Wow, that person must be cool. They must have something beyond what we're doing right here. And it went another step further, another step further. And it kept being cool. But I've noticed in life, the thing that is cool or looks cool in the brief moment it's always temporary. I've associated cool with temporary because it might be for a moment like, oh, that person seems like they're elsewhere. There was no elsewhere ever in the world that anyone ever went to ever since the beginning of time. It, it seems like it, like, oh, they're doing that thing that leads to, we're, st- we're all still on earth and it's spinning on like a little degree axis or some sort, some sort. So I've noticed that now we have a pullback after many, many years of getting cooler and cooler and everybody getting cooler and cooler. It got to the point where it's like, okay, we took away basically every element. We extracted from everything that people were doing by default on a daily basis. And now we are almost left with nothing. So the cool wasn't really represented. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on that? And also it seems that when we're on our phones, we get this false, we got this false socialization that we think is happening because we're seeing so many people. And we're seeing all these photos and seeing comments and whatnot. And it's like we're socializing, but we're not. So it's giving us that false illusion that we are socializing. And it takes away from the time we'd be spending with actual people in person when we're actually socializing. So I think we're kind of, it's a little bit delusional sometimes with phones and seeing people all the time. These are two very good, distinct 
points. So let me hit Armin's first. So we were before we were talking about what are the barriers to social connections and what are risk factors for loneliness. And we talked about social anxiety. Well, now we're talking about the other end of the spectrum, which is another barrier, which is narcissism. And so you don't have to have narcissistic personality disorder. If you feel this grandiose beliefs that you're better than other people and you know, you guys aren't smart enough for me. You're not like as educated as me. You guys have fewer degrees than me. Like I should even be in the same room as you. Um, that prevents me from relating to you. Like, like that internal belief of like, I'm better than Armin and Rebecca. Like this is random schmoes on a couch. that doesn't even look comfortable. Um, and, and so I can't connect with you. I have created an internal barrier of thinking I'm so freaking awesome that just as the, the socially anxious person has a, I'm so fragile and weak, that's a barrier. Now that's like, who can match my awesomeness? And that's a barrier as well. You add in the entitlement piece, which is, I deserve to be at the V in the VIP section. I shouldn't be with you in, in economy on the airplane. Um, I want the table in the corner. I don't want to be sitting with the minions. All of these things prevent me from relating to waitresses, waiters, other people that are there, they find me annoying, um, stressful. And that, and this fits with that cool quotient where by definition, cool is means that someone has a characteristic that is unique and distinct from other people there. Only a small subset of people can reach that, can reach that quality, but you don't get to decide it individually. Other people determine for you whether you're cool. So you're not, you might not even have access to this information. So walking into a room, trying, which is a lot of us when we were in our, you know, teens and our twenties. And for everyone listening, who's that age is this is a huge barrier because your belief that you are in some ways superior to other people prevents you from realizing how interesting most people are. And if at the minimum have interesting stories, but you're not going to get access to them because you've already X them out prematurely. And one of the ways of to prevent social connections is to prematurely rule and discard people. That is so good. I just want to be like mic drop. Like that's so good because I, I feel like I even relate to that. Like in my early twenties, like it's, you do have these, you have these thoughts of like, okay, I only want to maybe socialize with certain people and you want to do these certain things. And you just, you can have that very naive point of view when there's so you miss out so much on so many people or the people that you can connect with sometimes connect you with amazing opportunities or amazing other people. You don't know how life is always going to work. And, but having rather than that mindset of like, Oh, I can only associate with like the absolute best or the people who are just as qualified. You, you just, you limit yourself from like the magic of life, like the things that happen or you, and you don't always know who you're really talking to. You don't, you might have these judgments and you actually discover like, well, these people are like, this is who they are. Like you, it's, it's just amazing how limited people can be based off of these very quick, naive beliefs. Yeah. And, and I think it's like you, Rebecca, I think it's good to like for all of us by owning the worst versions of yourself in the past, you get to improve the you now and the future version of you. Um, and you often see like these indicators of this. So, you know, I've met many a woman who says like, I don't, I don't really get along with women. Um, so most of my friends are men or you'll talk to someone that's extremely in my world in academia of like, I don't really have any blue collar friends. I mean, most people at that I associate with are like extremely educated and well-read. And these are, I always have this like, huh, like that's, that's a lot of people that like you ruled out like automatically, like the idea of like a painter or a carpenter isn't up to par with you because they don't have Prost like on their, you know, in their, their bookcase behind you is a very strange way to go through the world. And if you have no friends of the same sex, male or female, that's a big tell of there's something little bit off like in how you're you know making decisions of like who's in and who's out in your world and my guess is i'm going to be next just the fact that you're saying that <laughs> this is true the people we associate with is a substantial feature mm -hmm. if we don't do it it's a limiter if we do do it it can be great one thing i just thought to mind you talk about owning your early years 
and that can help maybe with not being lonely later on. What are ways to own that? Does that come to mind as well? Like owning your uh, failures or your early years in some form? Yeah. So Dan McAdams at Northwestern refers to this in some ways as like the redemption narrative. And we love this. This is, you know, this is Rudy, like the, you know, we got this guy who's the water boy at Notre Dame on the football team. And then he gets one play at the end, you know, in the, in the final season when he's a senior there. I'm like, we, we like these redemption stories. We love people that, you know, had substance abuse problems, went to AA, come out, apply for your job. And you know that like, this is going to be a, like a, you know, a workhorse who's going to, in terms of someone like you want to hire, like this is someone who's been in the gutter, been in the pits of despair. And like, these are people I love to hire. Like, I'm like, I want someone that's like, knows how to struggle and has gotten out of it in this way. And we all have our own personal stressors and traumas. Um, and if we can, and, and difficulties and, and discomfort in our skin. And if we can build a story of how we are constantly in the throes of working through that, that's the redemption narrative. And so I think if you just have, if you've been, Nietzsche talks about, um, the key to growth is having, being able to have words to describe consciousness. And so once you get this terminology of the redemption narrative, you start to think about yourself. Yeah, this was my thing. I had a lisp when I was younger. That's me. Like when I was a kid or you had like a, you had club, a club foot or, you know, you were like completely like awkward or, you know, or chubby or whatever is the politically correct term to describe that. And then you decide like, I need to exercise. Like maybe a big gulp that can't fit in two hands is not something I should, it doesn't fit in my hands and for a reason. I shouldn't be drinking that. Um, and then they get really healthy and it comes, that's a redemption narrative. And it's, it's worthwhile to think about what are the turning points or what could be a turning point in your own story. And you get to edit that. No one else has any responsibility or control except for yourself of is the story you're making you as the protagonist. Can you be working through the difficulty and understanding that there's a turning point here and this is what you're aspiring to become. Mm-hmm. You're seeing, you're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You're like, you're seeing that there is a future for yourself by seeing by redemption. And I also, it just brings to my mind when you see redemption, it's like what's happening in that person's heart and mind. It's there's like transformation there, I think. And I think it comes down to being honest, being honest with yourself and, I think the most peaceful people and that just really flow through life and really have amazing connections with people are ones are people who can truly be honest with themselves and also with others. And I feel like that only comes through, through really like, just like revealing anything, but like having people or having God to talk to about who you are, what you've done and being okay with that and and just like your inside like having your inside match your outside and that's i mean i think that's really what brings people to a sense of more um being peaceful in life so long live congruency yeah no i mean it's it's a very beautiful thing that i think a lot of people have a mismatch for um and and when you describe social media earlier i mean i think that's the problem is you are unintentionally creating distance between your outsides and your insides. And it's worthwhile to think of, hey, what if I what if I expose my entrails to put it out there? Like what if like we'll see what happens. Maybe you don't get the numbers, but everything about well being in terms of having healthy relationships is about quality, not quantity. I mean you really only need two close friends to have a very functional life. The danger though of only two close friends is, you know, one of them goes down and now you're down to one. I mean so I would say, you know, try try to go for like six pack is like, and then maybe you'll get two. That's funny. It's like that one quote, like having one is close to having none. So it's too close. No, I feel, yeah, that's a good one. That's a neat one. Yes. We don't need that. The quantity, I think, was an illusion that was sold to us over time. Like it seems like, oh, that number is substantial. That must mean this. But we've seen 10 million examples, which is also a number, of that not being the case where that number didn't translate to this. That person is now like this. Those numbers were not directly linked to life. If they were, then 
that would have been the be all end all answer and those people would have been the gurus of our society but in some ways they end up having discrepancies in their life that showcase that there's not complete understanding or omniscience in their being quality on the other hand we've never had some disconnect with that when there's quality it's good today if you make quality material content you have a quality connection 15 years later looking back it still looks good it never has an issue i mean there's there's some really good provocative questions for people to think about on this so like how many people and actual names would you actually respond if they called you on the phone so most people it's it's a very low number now if you get to around zero then it tells you that there's some quality discrepancies as you're talking about. Like it, there should be people where when they call you, even if you're in the flow of writing, you know, um, painting, sculpting, you've got your ghost moment and the two of you are, you know, making some kind of clay thing together that happens there. You're like, hold on. This is look who's calling. I got, I got to pick that up. Um, that's an indicator that goes for you. And then also when you think about if you're going to social gatherings, how many people will beat the amazing book that you're reading right now. I, I this is this is a metric I use in my life. Like, will you beat the book? People like will call me up and say, like, do you want to hang out this night? And I'll just be reading like right now I'm reading The Measure, which is this amazing fictional book. And it's so good that people have to be incredibly high in quality for me to not choose the book that happens there. Um so that's a good indicator for me. If there are people I'm like, okay, well for you, like I'm gonna go out even though I really just want to read this book. And to think about like who is in your life existing that they're so good to be around, it's so valuable to you personally, that it beats the pa other passionate pursuits that you have? And if you're devoid of that, ask yourself, what can I do that links up with my passionate pursuits to find similar people, similar people? And in the, in the pursuit of finding people that have similar passions to you, you're going to accidentally find people that are very different from you. And different people are the ones that really give you expansion in your life versus just pure validation. Yeah, having both, I think, is really good. It, it challenges your mindset and it keeps you sharp in the sense of, okay, well, why, why do they have a different point of view or a different belief? And then kind of identifying, well, why do I believe what I do believe? And I think if people just always agree with you, then you're not going to be digging deeper and asking yourself harder questions. That's, that's, that's another good indicator. To what degree are you associating with people that actually challenge your worldviews? And just because they challenge it doesn't mean you have to accept anything, but like, huh, like that's, that's pretty, you could just say, you could just say that's pretty interesting. Um, but the idea of just, just being around like-minded people is a pathway towards mental stagnation in terms of your own personal development. That's quite informative. Um, two last questions to bring up in this category. One of them is, what can one do to, if they wanted to take steps upcoming in the next week or month, to take whatever level of isolation they might feel right now and adjust that rapidly in the near future is it psychological is it functional steps what can someone do to adjust it yeah it's a great question by the way i love i hope this video for the podcast i love watching you think i love when you turn your eyes to the ceiling it just makes me happy I'm just telling you that um so i think one one of the important ones is uh, I'm going to stick with this term I used earlier, which is social bids. Throughout our days, especially over the course of a week, you get social bids. Armin, you're really good at this. I know because we, we've we've had a number of hours of conversations now where you'll say something that is left of center. It's got nothing. It's a non sequitur. It's got nothing to do with what we just talked about. And then that's a social bid um, where you're basically, basically, do I respond to that? Do I pretend it didn't even happen and just keep going linear with... As if I'm not with you, we're just two people. It's like um, uh, parallel play. Like there's there's a point for little kids where there's parallel play. They'll be in a sandbox. They're next to each other, but they're doing two totally different things. And then there's a certain developmental point where they turn to each other like, hey, do you want to build like this farmhouse out of sand together? So if not responding to your bizarre thing that pops out of your head is parallel play, potentially. 
and then view it as like, do you want to jump a developmental stage and say, listen, whatever the Armin just said, like that interests him. So I'm going to accept your bid and work with it and go there. Um, so what I would say as a, as a very specific, concrete suggestion is look for social openings. And when someone gives it to you, respond. So let's say, I mean, I don't drink coffee, but this is what I imagine happens. You walk into Starbucks, you pay money and people give you a coffee. So in this transaction, um, they may say something strange. They might like smell, take a smell and be like, Rebecca, you smell like that, like that, um, that bubblegum ice cream pop that like, that like the, the ice cream man has, you know, like the one, it's like, like a kind of like, kind of like a bomb pop. It's got three colors mixed together. That's got nothing to do with buying the coffee. Now you could respond any which way you want that relates like whatever popped in your head that now that ice cream, ice cream man, summer has just been raised together which is not part of the transaction, that is a social opening. What I'm suggesting to people is when that pops up, be willing to divert from whatever you're going to do next and just experiment with responding to the social opening. Like welcome it in. In some ways, they're inviting you in some way. And then in return also is they try to give one to someone. Just Just throw a softball of something that's got nothing to do with what goes on. Like I just did one just earlier. I mentioned the book in my hypothetical, like beating the book metric in terms of whether I socialize or not. And I mentioned the book and neither one of you asked me, you know, I never heard that one. Like, what's the measure about? Now, we're in the middle of a podcast, but that would be an example of a social opening, right? In terms of I named the book, it's specific. You could ignore it completely or we could dive into it and go out into the world over the next couple of days, look for those social openings respond and then give them this is a wonderful point and i was switching up my last question with this one can you tell us more about the book comparison with connection with people and how the book can be outdone by a potential person i like the bid concept also that you just brought up very relevant and i think that is part of my being it is and it's so you i have not <laughs> i have not been heavily in the isolated space probably because of that because i have a bigger theme that we're all already linked planetarily and the opposite was not actual ever so i never believed in it so i don't give it any credit whatsoever and i always reach out i don't even count rejection because it's like we can't reject the sun beaming its light we can like we're put an umbrella there but it's it's beaming light so same thing with all of our connection is it's forever and vast so it's almost like the rejection is you have to pretend that it's there. You have to mm-hmm. pretend that it doesn't or that it does exist. And then I, that's what I would think. People pretend that it exists almost and then take it in and then they have anguish. And it's almost a self-story unrelated to reality because the other person, if you talk to their deep self, there wasn't any like, you are rejected and canceled from existence. That wasn't a theme I think that we have as as people. but. That was a segue, but... Are you saying that if somebody rejected you, you wouldn't consider it rejection? Yes. That's a good follow-up. Yeah, it is basically that I I would consider it that I just look at it like uh, they put an umbrella in front of me and I'm the sun shining outward. So they the sun was too bright for them. So they're basically saying I'm rejecting myself from you but not in a big-headed way but in a that's the perspective i take that sounds like a great armor from from like any sort of yeah not receiving i guess from people from from like i consider that kind of like social armor by having that mentality from not like getting like your i guess your ego hit from someone saying, no, I don't want to interact with you. It could be looked at that way in a positive or right. I, I don't give it weight so much. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the other person, that's another thing too. I don't think the other person would intend for it to have weight as well. So that I also, I'm trying to think of it from their mind. I don't think they would want the other person to go around for the next month of I'm a this because that occurred. I don't think that's a human characteristic. Mm-hmm. If um, the, your metaphor has, I have two thoughts of that. One is, 
I really like, I might actually steal it. I'm going to have to give you credit in a footnote is because if you view yourself as a sun emanating all these different rays, you are not overly investing in any single ray in terms of it being blocked or obstructed. But, and that's, that's basically like the rejection part because you're just operating with so many rays like emanating from you at one time. So I kind of love that frame. And that really is like what we all do. Um, give or take like really isolated hermit like characters. Um, but then to go with Rebecca's point, I think of, I had, I had a few quotes in my wall when I was a kid and this was taped to my wall ugly, like, uh, like this, like masking tape, like a ripped piece of paper, nothing, nothing aesthetically pleasing. And Eleanor Roosevelt, she said, if everyone's your friend, then no one's your friend. And I just think of if people were to use my, hierarchy of social networks of like a level one or level two person rejects you if you as rebecca kind of probed if that didn't bother you that would make me wonder how much did you actually value those people at those at those that's like at such high levels like they're not all not all rejections are equal like and i would wonder if it was a level one or two like would that actually hit hard where i'm gonna like take a breath and like go into reparation mode I have a I have a golden response to that one. I've thought about this in detail. In my head, if that individual was aligned with me in any form, because I have a very specific way of going about the world, it could not occur because the it would already be there. It would be like a river rejecting another river of water, the same kind of water. It almost doesn't make sense, just it flows into and goes down through a tributary or something. So I wouldn't see it as being actually, it wouldn't make sense on their end too, because I'm always thinking about both ends. And so if there was that much of a pairing, then that's mind boggling that it wouldn't function as well. Mm. Yeah. 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 I mean, not to psychoanalyze you, but I mean, it's, it's sometimes you have perverse incentives that come elsewhere that lead to a misunderstanding that has to be, could be resolved and maybe... You don't resolve it and maybe, like you're saying, it's okay that it's not resolved because the true nature of a relationship was just revealed. But I think it's worth considering, like there's there's a multitude of ways where there could be a, a, a rupture that could be repaired and it's not because the other person is necessarily not a high quality connection in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think it also goes into considering opportunities like say you're applying for a job or some sort of position at some company that you really look up to or think that they're doing a great job and maybe you're rejected by that company and maybe that feels like a hard hit, but you have to like also think perhaps life is leading you in a different direction. There's so many companies that exist and maybe that one company didn't see my value, but that doesn't, that doesn't affect my value. It's just, for whatever reason, it didn't fit, but there's going to be a company that sees who I am and appreciate me for who I am. And I want to be with, I want to be with a company that sees that and appreciates it. So it's like, if you're going to get hit hard, like an ego hit, maybe by that rejection of that first company that didn't accept you, like it's good not to take those things personally because there's always opportunity to be seen and valued. One theme of this entire conversation is Rebecca is one stable character. I mean, you, you could see, right? Like stable identity, like something beneath, beneath the, the initial surface of like things that keep you like really stable, grounded, secure, which is freaking awesome. And I bet there's a lot of people listening that wish they were Rebecca to have that. Like that's like a, like a really, and that's, and that's, and so, you know, just to like, bring this full circle. Like when you think about loneliness, part of it of like, it's such a, I mean, 24 to 48% of the population is these are people that have unstable connections and that could just be perception wise, but the perception alone ends up leading to objective problems, sleep, like sleep quality problems, cardiovascular disease, um, increase, increase like a, you know, rate of like a injuries that lead to mortality, Increase like increase the carbohydrates, which leads to like all sorts of like excess fatty acids and all the problems that come with that, including diabetes. So subjective problems lead to objective problems, 
And when you have the stable, secure foundation like a Rebecca, you are insulated from that happening. And then you're you're the sun emanating the light all over the place, like 360. So people can't shove enough umbrellas at you to block all those rays coming at you. I'm I'm the one here who's the fragile one of the three of us. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think like really though, because I think my belief in God and my spirituality, it does ground me a lot though, because I because how I see people is I give value to people based off of, hey, God, I because I believe God created people. And if he created somebody, then that's that's the innate value right there. And people have all these sorts of experiences and people do all these sorts of things. And and I think that there's something to learn from every single person. And there's divinity because God did, like created you. Like there's innate divinity in a person. And that's like, that's just, it's just incredible. It's like, it's so beautiful. And when you see that, you also see it in yourself. And then you just, you, it brings this transcendent respect for humanity. And you just value life. You value the unborn, but you also value the elderly as well. Along with all the different groups and age subsets that exist on the planet. It's important to bring value. You bring value to others once you're already uh, within to the without, which is the way I think about it. That's very cool. Todd, Rebecca, I would like to thank both of you for joining in this wonderful discussion on loneliness, isolation, connection, how we can develop more connection, how that connects with health benefits to avoid health issues in 2023 when this is very prevalent. Glad to have had you both taking part. Thank you, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It was so great talking to you both. And thank you very much, Professor Todd Cash. I love it. I never have any idea where you're going to go. So that makes it super entertaining. This is wonderful. And we are out. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please comment any takeaways you had. And we'll see you on The Armin Show next time.